Welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your hosts, Tiffer and Kim. Today, we're going to be talking about the Great Depression. The Great Depression is a big one. And it, it is one of those ones that's like very hard to approach in a linear fashion, which is the way that I really enjoy approaching history. It's because every little piece kind of bleeds into another piece and overlaps and it becomes a really hard thing to express in a linear way. So when we talk about this today, it will kind of be, imagine like throwing paint on walls and overlapping. It will kind of come out that way today. We have a Jackson Pollock presentation to make to you today. (laughs) Which Which is amazing and excellent. You guys will appreciate it. And which is funny because he's actually in this. Jackson okay. Pollock is in this today. So I it's did not have him that you in my notes up. at all. He is. He's in mine. <laughs> but when we talk about the Great Depression, we are actually going to rewind all the way back to 1693. Now, the only reason we're doing this is because one of the big parts of the Great Depression is the stock market crash of 29, 1929, right? Yep. Well, I was, and also there was, a part in World War One that had to do with treasury bonds and war bonds, which we're also going to talk about. So I was thinking, oh my goodness, how long has this been a thing? You know, is this something new? Did it break because it was new? And the answer is no, it did not break because it was new. The first bonds were issued in 1693 by the Bank of England. And the first bonds in the U.S., were issued as treasury bonds during the American Revolution. So America had been using bonds for a very long time at this point. It was a normal part of U.S. history, and this U.S. stock market first opened. The New York Stock Exchange opened on May 17th of 1792. So when I was thinking about, you know, the Great Depression and when and when the stocks collapsed, I thought, Maybe it's because it was new, because, of course, I don't know the entirety of history. It was not new. It was a very well-established way that they did business. It was. One of the things, too, uh, that I think that the the stock market crash of 1929 might just be a symptom of the overall problem and not the cause Right. It was definitely but, only one part, if it was part of the cause. One of it was only one we, piece. Yeah, when we start looking into this and we say, okay, what was the cause? There's a lot going on. And oh my even now, like, you can go read, you know, a, a lot of these, you know, papers, economists, whatever, and they kind of just say, you I know, don't know. The causes are kind of unknown or unknown. debated. You know, people are still debating what the actual causes right you go to different website every different website has a different reason and they will often refer to the the market crash of 29 but that was like one cog in an entire machine and and it is interesting for me when i was looking into it i would find things and somebody would give a very compelling reason why you know x was the cause of the great depression and then i go look at another place they're like oh yeah that People say that that wasn't even close. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't X, it was Y. Or a lot of them would just say, there's a lot, you know, there's, it's not one there thing. There was a lot that piled up. All the ducks went in a row 
all the ducts fell down. Yeah. It turned into a problem. But here are a few that I found that I think are kind well, of generally Well, let's talk accepted. about the, the leading up to it. The, yes, the, I am going to. Okay. Because, well, at least part of it. Okay. Part of it is in World War One. So World War One happened, and it happened in the United States joined in 1917. The war started in 1914. And then we were in, as the United States, in World War One until 1918. The war was expensive, so Congress passed the first Liberty Bond Act in 1917. This was 22 days after the U.S. entered the war. They had also increased taxes before they entered the war because they knew they were going to, and so they were, they were like, getting ready. Yeah. <laughs> so they started issuing these bonds until October of 1918, which was a month before the war ended. And the bonds at the time were um, a 10-year bond. So at a 10-year bond, these bonds are coming up between 27 and 28. So that affects the government. But first, we're going to explain a little bit about these bonds just because I find them fascinating. Okay. The lowest bond you could buy was $50, and it was equivalent to two weeks' wages in a factory. Okay? There were 100 million Americans at the time and they had 20 million individuals purchase bonds. There were only 24 million households at that time. So granted, <clears throat> it could have been that a wife bought some and a husband bought some because they were individual bonds. But mostly it was the husband in, out of 24 million. That's like, if you look at this at the most basic way, which is probably, probably inaccurate, like four million people that didn't buy war bonds. <laughs> like that's that's incredible. It, it is incredible, and I'm sure that several people bought you know multiple. You know they, they bought yes. some when they and could afford it, and they bought another but group. Still, but that is amazing. That's a lot, and they made billions of dollars from these bonds. And these war bonds had a ten year maturity and the a debatable percentage of return between like two and a half and three and a half percent. So. People were really excited. People go out and buy these bonds. And then the the prosperity of the 20s occurs. Yeah, the Roaring Twenties is what it was ended up being called. And things, economically, things just started going very, very well for the United States. And, well, and really, probably the world. You know, yeah. we're mostly focused on the United States here, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, electricity was just becoming a thing. Yeah, by 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 this time in the middle of the twenties, half of the country had electricity. By twenty five. Yeah, so in nineteen twenty, I think it was thirty five percent, and in nineteen twenty nine, it was sixty eight percent of homes. Yeah. So the technology the people, had just really improved. Yeah, and, and a lot of what came about because of that is people are getting things like refrigerators, and mm -hmm. people are getting things like washing machines, so they oh, don't have to spend as much time. Oh, for the very first time ever. Yeah. They have these <laughs> machines to assist with housework. And, and so that increases their leisure time. And so and leisure becomes a time. big thing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, appliances, radio, you know, starts becoming a thing. Movies. Yeah. The national debt was dropping. It, I, American money was staying in America because they put import duties on... I mean, duties on imports. Yeah. So money was staying in America. People were making money. People were spending money. And 
people were buying things on credit for the first time ever. Yep. And one of the other things, too, is kind of with the global situation is the U.S. loaned a lot of money out in World War I to Britain and France. Mm -hmm. Britain and France are getting a lot of money from Germany because they won and said, hey, you have to give us reparations. And so Germany's paying money to you know, France and Great Britain who are paying it to the U.S. It's actually loaning it back to Germany. And it's just this kind of cycle of money that (laughs) ends up kind of getting disrupted at some point. And And during this time, between 1920 and 1929, the total wealth of the country doubled. Yeah. And stock prices between 21 and 29 went up four times. Booming. And people were shifting their focus from farming and war to business. Yeah, so farming is one of the things. So when we start talking about some of the causes, one of them they talk about is, is farmers got hit pretty hard. Yeah. So one of the things that was happening in World War One, a lot of the European farmers were preoccupied. So American farmers were able to sell a lot in Europe. And they also had the technological advances. So they got tractors and trucks. And so they're actually able to start producing more food. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is, you know, because World War One was great, a lot of more people got into farming. Technology greats, they're, you know, technology gets better, mm-hmm. so they're able to produce more. So you have more people producing more than ever, and you end up with this glut of food. And all of a sudden, food becomes less valuable. So all these farmers who took out loans for, you know, their trucks and their tractors and whatever else are now not making as much money because there's so much there's food out there. There's too much supply. The so, demand is, does not match supply. They took out tons of loans, and all of a sudden they're having issues paying it back. And so that was one of the things that kind of goes down in, you know, the causes of the Great Depression is farmers start really struggling. And because of that, the banks that, you know, were these farmers were going to, they start struggling. So that's one of the kind of branches that, you know, when people talk about the causes, and, and it goes on and gets worse. And this is where the timeline sort of, you know, we have to bounce yeah. around. because it has to bounce around because they they lead in in different ways to each other. Yeah, so when we're talking about farming, one of the things that happens is they have the Dust Bowl. And in 19, it starts kind of in 1930, but it goes to like 1936 where there's this crazy drought going on in the Midwest. And so many... Let me rewind. Okay. So I actually have to rewind past this too. But about the Dust Bowl, one of the things that happened is because everything got so cheap, farmers started tilling a lot more land to make up for the fact that everything had gotten so cheap. So they wanted they wanted to be able to sell more, which now they know it saturates the market even further, which was like shooting themselves in the foot. But when they did this... And then they didn't have the water to care for this. They left open this topsoil. It had no plants on it. It was tilled. And then, because it's in the Midwest and there's a lot of windstorms in the Midwest, here come these mid, these windstorms that take the topsoil and blow it away. And it was, and still is, the largest man-made natural disaster in the history of the world. <laughs> well, they would talk about these windstorms that would come through 
and people wouldn't be able to see more than five feet because all the, the so, dirt in so there. So much dirt. And they were talking, oh, I wish I could remember what city it was, because they were talking one winter they were getting red snow in, I think it was somewhere like New York or Philadelphia or something. Wow. From the From the wind? From the wind that was blowing the dust into, you know, the east. Well, this is actually why there are cupboard doors, is because these places used to have these open shelves. And then there was so much dust that they would have to wash their dishes before they ate because it was just filled with dust and dirt. And so they started putting doors on cupboards for the dishes because they wanted to keep the dust off because there was, it was just so yucky. And for so long, for, for almost an entire decade, these people are living with a coat of dust on them. Every day. And and so many of them started leaving, too. There was a huge exodus of people. I think they said like three and a half million people moved out of the Plains states. Yeah, during and that went to cities decade. looking for jobs yeah. in cities. The cities just absolutely exploded. And that was happening still in the 20s. I'm going to go back to the 20s really quick. Yeah, let's go back to the 20s, and then we'll start talking about some of the other causes as well. I had some fun little facts. That I came across. All right. <laughs> so when I was looking up at the stock market, right? Yeah. Because when I get focusing on these things, I, you know, I rabbit hole occasionally. And this was a really hard rabbit hole for me because there's no definitive answer. So it was really hard to find one because there isn't one. So I started going down and looking at the different stocks and what was popular at the time. And they had GM because... General Motors, because people were buying cars. So in 1921, there were 9.2 million registered car owners. In 1929, there were 21, I mean, 23.1 million. Okay. And now, and then you had GE, um, because people are getting electric, electricity, General Electric, uh, U.S. Steel, because during the 20s, this is when the Bank of Manhattan Trust Building was built, the Chrysler Building, the Empire State Building, because cities were now having the technology and capability of building up instead of out. And so they were building these massive buildings in these large cities. And they also had a company like Sears that you explained before that was making appliances. But here's a funny one. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is a major player in the 1920s. And I don't know if you remember, but the 1920s was Prohibition. Yep. Prohibition started in January 17th of 1920, and it went until 1933, which coincidentally is when FDR became president, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. So, (laughs) here's a conspiracy theory for you. Do you think that Coca-Cola played a role in Prohibition? Because Coca-Cola was invented in in 1886, okay? It went public in 1919, which is the same year (laughs) that Prohibition started. And then they took out most of the cocaine in 1903, but it still had cocaine. And they added caffeine in 1911. So here is this beverage with cocaine, caffeine, and sugar (laughs) that is probably one of the most addictive beverages in the history of all time. 
And it somehow didn't become completely cocaine-free until 1929. That's interesting, because I, you know, I... I never thought of it in that conspiracy sort of way, but now, like, my head is going, you know, I bet, I bet there was some pressure I from the Coca-Cola company. I went down this company hole for a long time. Going, hey, we really, these alcoholic beverages are terrible for people. You That's should try right. these uh, cocaine, you try these cocaine beverages. beverages. It was funny because people are like, oh, I didn't know it had cocaine in it. And I was like, it's literally named yeah. after the plant. If it was named, out, if it was made out of bananas, it would be called Banana cola. It has it, bananas in it? <laughs> Holy cow. Coca is the name of the plant that cocaine is made from. It's yeah. from the coca leaf of the coca plant. It's coca cola. Like, and so <laughs> when people say that, I'm like, ah. <laughs> I mean, there's a time I didn't know. I guess you just don't know. It's so natural. But it's yeah, really Yeah, because honestly, to, to most people, I'll bet. It's just so a they, when they say name. Coca, their first thought is cola. Coca-Cola. Yeah, Coca-Cola is the company's name. Yep. Yeah, well, it's also the plant's name. <laughs> yeah, it was named that because of the plant. Because of the plant. And the guy who made it, I think, was a... Oh, my gosh. The word fell out of my head. A, a medicine guy. The pharmacist. There a we go. Guy. A medicine guy, guys. You're only getting the best information from us. <laughs> uh, so I just had to add that because I thought that was so funny. No, I never, I never heard that. And you know, for the conspiracy-minded, that's like a fantastic <laughs> one. You know, maybe there's something there, maybe not. But it sounds, sounds it has good. all the makings of a good conspiracy. But one of the things that was happening at this time with the stock market is that people were letting people buy stock without the actual money to do so. Yep. So almost like a loan. So people would be like, oh, yeah, just pay us when you can. Because you'd feel stupid not doing it. The stock market's gone up it's four gone times. It's crazy. Everyone's Everybody thinks making it's going to keep going up. Buying the flapper dresses. They're cutting their hair short. They're looking great and dapper. And then you're the sucker over here that's not buying a bunch of Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. You really left feel out. like you're left out if you're not. And so if yes. you don't have money and somebody's like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll lend you this money. You're going to make way more. You know, look yep. at what the stock market's doing. Because it had. So, and then it didn't. Yeah. And then it, and then it didn't. And that was a big thing, too, because one of the things that they say, you know, exacerbated the problem is everybody, that. you know, had taken out these loans and, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, they, they have... Not just no money, but now they have they owe money. debt. Mm-hmm. So they and, and pretty significant amounts too. I think you know people had always had like you know you go to the store and you have a little bit of a credit or whatever that they yeah or they keep against you. But this these were large numbers for for what the income was. People were taking out a lot, and boy, isn't it fun to like swing dance in Charleston your way through the. The spending until you have to pay it back. <laughs> yeah, so I've got a note right here that mm-hmm. says those loans that people took they took out eight point five billion in wow. loans to buy you know to buy to stocks. Buy stock. And so then, it was fake. I mean, that's inflated. That's not yeah, real money. That was more than all the amount of currency that was actually circulating oh, in the United States. And that seems like a critical piece of the puzzle. And and it does seem like a critical. When you have more fake money than you do real money. Yep. 
because then you can't adjust for anything. But they also, I mean, there's so much more regulation now than there was back then. There wasn't regulation on so many things. There wasn't, and a lot of the regulation comes out because of this. Because of, yeah. You start seeing, and we'll kind of talk about that, the SEC came about because, Mm -hmm. exactly because of these situations. Oh, because the banking. I mean, when the, we talk the about banking the banking, was pretty terrible, and that was, to me, to me, that was the one that struck me as things might have been okay until, kind of the the bank runs and the banking collapse that happened, and that banking collapse that happened didn't really happen until like thirty thirty one. So the stock market yeah. crashes in the late twenty nine. The first run on a bank was in nineteen thirty in Nashville, Tennessee. And that was the first time when they realized that the banks don't hold all the money that they lent because they lend it out. Yeah. And so the people who ran on the banks, it was first come, first serve that got their money back and everyone else kind of was screwed over. And it, um, it took a while for people to have this, this story spread that, oh, my gosh, what if I don't get mine? Oh, my gosh. Yep. And everyone sat there kind of freaking out that their bank would start to fail. Everyone's on edge. And um, then they well, had over 9,000 banks fail during the Great Depression. Yeah. I mean, this was huge. So that was, they said it was like a fifth of all the banks. A fifth failed. of all the banks in the entire country. But this also sort of stopped around 1934. So the biggest run and, on banks all happened between 1930 and in 1933. And, and a lot of that is because of what happened when FDR came in i think so let me just say the two pieces of information i have before fdr because i think he was like a gigantic well i think there's portion. still a lot more to talk about before fdr but i just okay. wanted to you know those dates it's the reason that that the stopped <laughs> the reason that you know you say oh go it happens till 1933 or 34 it stops for a reason not because the economy is necessarily right. better you know the there was action there there were actions taken, taken. So, so yeah, let's go ahead. Because I also wanted to talk about some of the things that Herbert Hoover did. Oh, let's do that Because Because one of the things, the way that this was kind of taught to me in history class was that the stock market crash was the cause, and that's why there yep. was a Great Depression, and that Herbert Hoover didn't do anything at all. Yep. And that and they contributed got the Hoover to... Bills. Yeah, they had the Hoover Bills, mm-hmm. and that was something they taught in school. And then FDR comes in with his New Deal and kind of saves the world. Saves the world. Mm-hmm. And going back and looking at things, I, I honestly do think that a lot of what FDR did probably helped, but uh-huh. it didn't save the world. You know, we the, the Great Depression essentially lasted till World War Two, nineteen, you know, thirty nine. He's still 40. the president because he's our longest president. He in is the, the longest serving president ever, and because of him, they made the rule that you can only serve two terms. Right. Because he was elected for four terms. He did die in his last term. But he was the president for more than 12 years. But it was basically explained that Herbert Hoover didn't do anything at all. And that really wasn't true. Like, he tried a lot of similar things to what FDR did. But they didn't necessarily work. So, in fact, one of the things that he wanted to do, and this is one of those things that to me ends up in kind of the causes of the Great Depression was the Smoot-Hawley tariff. Mm -hmm. And that was 
something that he kind of ran on when he was becoming president to help out like farmers. You know, farmers were struggling in the 20s, not necessarily waiting till the Great Depression. They actually were kind of struggling earlier. So when he ran, he was saying, hey, we'll put these tariffs and that'll help out our, you know, production here and our farmers. So he does the Smoot-Hawley tariff, and that actually was in process before the stock market crash and before the Great Depression. It didn't pass until 1930, but one of the articles that I was reading, one guy was saying, if you look at um, some, kind of the timeline, in, in like, I think it was March of 29, it went into Congress or something like that and kind of got passed. It wasn't a law yet, but there was kind of a reaction in the stock market when that happened. And then in right before the uh, stock market crash, there was, it, it kind of was being brought up again as, okay, let's adjust this and so we can try and get it through the Senate. And they said that was in October of 29, right before the stock crash. market started crashing. And one of the things when the stock market crashed in 1930 on uh, essentially Black Thursday, New York Times ran an article that said uh, that because of the, well, they did, I don't think they called it out as part of the Smoot-Hawley tariff, but they said that foreign entities pulled out, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars from the stock market because um, when the Smoot-Hawley tariff thing was going through, yeah. a lot of countries start thinking, well, if you're going to do that to us, you know, you're going to change you know, the rate of the tariffs on our goods, we're going to do it to you. Mm -hmm. So these other countries start feeling threatened and other countries start putting tariffs into place. In fact, some of them started before. I think France had some in like 28. And so it just becomes this cycle of, well, if you're going to have tariffs, then we're going to have tariffs. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the U.S. exports are going to start struggling and foreign investment in U.S. goes down. And so the... But that was one of the things that Smoot-Hawley tariff was supposed to help out American businesses by making foreign goods more expensive. So that was one of the things that he, it went through in 1930. He tried, you know, that was one of his actions. He also did uh, an act to say, you know, federally funded programs have to pay, a, called it a prevailing wage, but essentially a minimum sort of wage is you have to pay a, a good standard wage for any federal job. He also uh, signed legislation preventing people from, uh, uh, companies from stopping people from joining unions, which is also something the FDR did. He had, he put together a committee um, for employment. It was called the I President's of, Emergency like Committee any, for Employment. I've, I've heard of some of these. I haven't and, heard of them. And I hadn't heard of any of this because they didn't talk about it. It really just was. I've heard of Davis speaking. Hoover didn't do anything. You know, that was kind of the message. And he really did because even with this, you know, President's Emergency Committee for Employment, he put together this department, but he didn't really put a lot of money into it. He really was in kind of, you know, you balance the budget and you, you know, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. So he didn't, he wasn't able to put a lot of money into Republican. a lot of these things and that he, he also ended up that president's emergency committee for employment later kind of morphed into the president's organization on unemployment relief so he was putting things in and he also 
worked uh, or, or in his speeches when he was talking, you know, running for president against FDR, he was saying, you know, private organizations will handle a lot of the relief and do whatever, you know, the government might help them out, but really it's these private organizations. So he didn't like putting a lot of federal money into things. And he, I think some of this, he was trying to get like donations to help fund, you know, some of these things because he didn't want to put money into it. But the other thing that he did in 1932 was he changed the income tax rates, like dramatically. So the top income uh, tax yes. rate was like 25% before this act, and all of a sudden it got bumped up to 73%. That's crazy. And that, that was a, a crazy jump, but it really was, you know, hey, we need, we need to pull in more money for these programs, and he's, you know, running for re-election, and he's got to do something. 73 percent, though. Like, yeah, that's you might as well just not make money. It 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 really is. And so, when you read some of the stuff, people you know go back and look and say, okay, here's my breakdown. There's a lot of people that say a lot of these things that we're trying to do just make the problem worse. Sure, because if you're trying to get people to be industrious, you don't want to shoot them in the arm for being industrious. Yeah. So. Yeah, yes. if you, you and really that does want to incentivize people deal. to go out and create you yes. know, jobs and do whatever, mm-hmm. and 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 they talk about that with like price controls as well. Is they actually implemented some price controls, and I think this was FDR, but they say a lot of these price controls don't do what you think they're going to yeah. do. They they stop people from trying to get in on markets. You know, they, if if you you know, say like a loaf of bread, if, if bread becomes so scarce and all of a sudden you, it's $10 a loaf, you say, well, that's way too much. I'm going to change it. I'm, you know, you can't sell it for more than a dollar a loaf. Well, who wants to get in the bread-making business? No, because you're not getting your money back. Yeah, so that that's the argument with a lot of these things is that a lot of these programs just perpetuate the problem. They just keep the Great Depression going. But those were some of the things that Hoover did that I had no idea because the way it was taught to me was that he didn't do anything. And well, it doesn't sound like he did a lot right. And but he did apparently try to do. He, some he did stuff. try and do a lot. Well, but now I know why they named the Hoovervilles after him is because all of the rich people ended up living there after paying <laughs> their seventy-three percent taxes. Good gracious! I also know that the Hoover Dam was started while he was the president, and he. That's why it was named after him, which is funny because I had always thought it was after. And I thought they hated him. Why'd they name it after him? So he started. He named it it after himself. (laughs) I I don't know if he did or not because I was trying to get the thing up. But I know I read something that said Roosevelt changed it from Hoover Dam to Boulder Dam because it was by a town like Boulder, Nevada or something. Oh, really? And then in like 47, they changed it back. They changed it back. Because... So it started in 1931, which is the exact same year that the first Dust Bowl happened. Yeah. And um, it was completed in 1936. So that was a lot of employment for like 20,000 people or something like that. It it was really weird, too, because part of me thinks if there wasn't a a Great Depression, you couldn't have built it because the working conditions were pretty terrible. Hundreds of people died. Horrible. And one, they said and they like did one summer ahead of schedule. It they, was a hundred and 
119 degrees on average for like a month. Oh, yeah, because it's Nevada. And people will just have to work, you know, and, and build this dam. And and nobody has ice. Yeah. And nobody has, like, And they're living misters. in these kind of shanty towns. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're, they're essentially what the it looked like was levels. like military tents sort yes. of thing. And that's where the they Canada's live. Tents. You know, like, they're not air-conditioned whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're out. And, man, it, if there wasn't a depression, I don't know. That you would have gotten people to stay yeah, with Yeah, I think it would have been a lot hard harder. Con- there wasn't anybody that did have the good conditions anywhere, but in Nevada in the summer. Yeah. I mean, you don't even want to walk down the street because it's too hot. And you don't want to walk out in the in the quote unquote yard because it's just hot sand that, that reflects the heat right back at you. It's not like a nice grass or like no. tree area. It's super hot. I and guess the only they're in the consolation box. is that there's water that you can maybe get in and cool down. But they, it wasn't even that much water. Yeah. It it, it sounds terrible. It was. Me. And and not only that, but like oh, in the winter, like people people were dying of pneumonia and stuff. Like it, it really was pretty. Uh, That's interesting because you'd think it would be a pretty good winter spot. Yeah, because I think it's like, I do, I do think it gets cold. Get down to the 40s. That's not like but, the negative 15 it was last week. But, but it's true. It's really fascinating to think of just how much harder life was in general. I mean, even when you think back to the electricity being in half of the houses, I was looking that up on my computer while my phone was playing something next to me while my kid was on the computer and another one was on an iPad and my dishwasher's going. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, that was that was less than 100 years ago. Yep. Less than 100 years ago. And I and and it was half of the country still didn't have anything. And you watch documentaries and you hear about how, you know, the the wire came in. And this is this will come up soon because the depression. I I am pro FDR's New Deal, because I think it changed America. If you look at other countries around the world, you know, there's this pivotal moment in America where we switch from being farmers and electricless to being electric people who have businesses, and that happens in the 40s. And I don't think we would have gotten there with, or at least as quickly, without the New Deal, because I'm just jumping to it. I'm just jumping to it right now, because FDR, when he came in, he started several programs, and one of those programs... Immediately. In, oh, oh my goodness. So, like, there was something <laughs> called, like, the first hundred days or whatever. It was within the first hundred days. And, and he just came in, and yep. and the first thing that he did, and this goes back to what you were talking about with, with the banks. With the you banks. Know, the banks started. Yeah. Is he went in and just said, nobody takes any money out of the banks until we get this resolved. All the banks are kind of shut yep. down. We're going to have people come in and. They called it a bank holiday. Yeah, a bank holiday. A bank holiday. They shut them down because there were so many people running on banks. Because like I said, those 9,000 that closed, most of them were before 1933. So in two years, they've lost thousands and thousands of banks. And it can spiral out of control because like, you know, once. When people realize out, that there's a mm-hmm. run on it, then they want to get theirs the out. You, know, you don't they... want to be the last one you yeah. know, with your, oh, uh, don't worry, I still got a million dollars in the bank while that bank doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, crap. Well, this was really fascinating because I don't think this would work these days. 
But what he did is he goes in February. So he's just been put in, like, literally. Not even put in because he doesn't get inaugurated until March. Oh, my gosh. I thought he'd been inaugurated no, already. He, he been, he'd won, <laughs> but he doesn't become inaugurated until, like, March 4th. So he declares this bank holiday in February. And it closes the banks for three days. Now, if you know bank law right now, banks are not allowed to be closed for four days in a row. But they closed these banks for three days, and then they had a weekend. So these banks were closed for more than three days. And he called it a cooling off period. And this is when he gave his speech where he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yeah, which is crazy because I always thought that was a World War II speech. Oh, yeah. And because and, I'd heard that quote several times, you know, the, the only thing we... Oh, and, and, and they were, everyone refers back to it in the weirdest times. Yeah. So it does come up in other things because they're quoting him. But, <laughs> but he also, like, one of the other things that he talked about in, in that same speech, and I think that actually is his inauguration speech, which was yeah, on March 4th. Yeah, it was. So uh, he... He says, like, a couple things that hit me. One of them is he, he, he said something along the lines of, we require two safeguards against the return of the old evil order. And that just kind of hit, like... Interesting. That, that though, the rhetoric there seemed really weird. <laughs> but he just said, you know, there must be an end to speculation with other people's money, and there must be provision for an adequate but sound currency. Well... You know, I guess you band everybody together with a common enemy. Maybe that's... I think that's kind of it. But the other thing that he said was, he said, you know, I'm going to go ask Congress for help. But if I don't get help, I shall ask for the one remaining instrument, broad executive power. Mm. And that was like the way he ended his speech. You know, if I don't get help, I'm just going to take. And I think he would wow. have had the people's support. He he got nominated. Uh, I think he it was only something like sixty something percent of the popular vote, or, or no, it was only fifty seven point four his first time. But he, the electoral thing, he won four seventy two to fifty nine. Like he he dominated the electoral, the, the electoral college, and even the popular vote, he he won by a, a pretty decent margin. So I think he had a lot of support, and I think he well, kind of knew it. On March 4th, he gives his inaugural speech. But on March 9th, Congress passes the Emergency Banking Act. Yep. And that created deposit insurance for the first time in the history of the United States. You can put your money in a bank, and it can be what is now called FDIC insured. So on March 12th, FDR gives his fireside chat on a Sunday over the radio about how he believes that the reopened banks are going to be safe. So when the banks open on the 13th on Monday, people started bringing back their cash. All of the cash that they had hoarded and taken out, they start bringing it back to the bank because they trusted their president. Yeah. And they're just like, sure. So they bring it back and it's now insured. And then March 15th, the two days after, they opened stock trading for the first time since the bank holiday. I don't know why there was a difference there. But it increased by the largest ever one-day percentage because the Emergency Banking Act sort of restored the confidence in the U.S. paying system. The only problem is he's just saved the world in a matter of like a week and a half or two weeks. And yet it's 1933. Unemployment's at 25%. And prices and production are down, 
at from 1929 and we still can't get out because it actually only fixes one of the leaks that's in the boat yeah and that was where it gets into there's so many different causes so many many different different things that are going on you know the the farmers are still you you got the dust bowl oh yeah farmers are still struggling Mm -hmm. you know and and he introduces a number of other uh like farmer related bills and stuff like that but one of the ones that i wanted to touch on because this one was really weird to me because when you when you you know right at the time, they're on what's called the gold standard. Yep. And the gold standard is supposed to be, it's supposed to stop you from just, you know, printing money and doing what, all mm-hmm. your money is supposed to be able to be converted into gold. Yes. So you have, in, in theory, you're supposed to have backing of gold for all your currency. Yes. And because of that, and this is where it gets into stuff that I have a hard time following, as they talk about, you know, expanding the amount of money out there, and they say, well, with the... If, if you need 40% of your currency backed by gold, you can only do so mm-hmm. much. So one of the things that he does is he, in, in April of 33, uh, I think it was just called Executive Order 6102, he says uh, everybody has to turn their gold into the government. You cannot have anything but jewelry and and some small coins. Holy cow. Everything else. You Could you have, imagine? By May 1st, <laughs> you have to turn in all gold coin, gold bullion, gold certificates under penalty of a $10,000 fine or 10 years in jail. I had no idea uh, yeah. of this. I saw that and was like, holy cow. And, and it does kind of make sense because of the, the gold standard. They can't, they have plans of, okay, we can. Yeah, but you're. How can you take that from the people? Exactly. Like, it, it, it really is kind of. When he talks about his broad executive power, what he's saying, we're treating this like it's war. I want all the Whoa. privileges that you would give the president if we were under attack. Which I is hilarious wartime. because war actually is what saves us from yeah. all this. But, whoa. And, and so he, he's able to kind of do this stuff because that, I, I mean, he's able, I don't know, this is why he's able to do it. Why he's able to do it is up for Everyone's debate, you know, like basically nobody comes in to try and stop when it. you have you know? a quarter of the people who are unemployed. Yeah. Who are... And, and so if you're the guy who's like, oh, no, that's not legal or whatever, uh, I don't know that anybody's going to listen to They're wanting it to care. work. Yeah. Yeah. So if this works. That's why they put their money back in. They believe this guy. But that was one of the things, and that one kind of blew my mind because I had no I, that's crazy. idea. Yeah. And so, and I saw one of the posters sort of thing, and it really is, you have to... What year was that? That was 33. That wow. was April of 1933. So that was one of his first things. I mean, before that, he did some other things. You mentioned the Banking Act, but yep. he also, uh, in March of 33, created the Civilian, Civilian Conservation, Conservation Corps. Corps. So, so I want to go back to 32. In 32, there were riots. Uh, you know, people marched to Washington. And there were tons of people, and a lot of them were World War One veterans. Yep. And I can't remember. Uh, I got to go look at my notes to see what that was called. Oh, the Bonus Army, because mm-hmm. they were promised, you know, hey, in you know, uh, these these World War One veterans were given these certificates that they were supposed to be able to redeem in 1945. Well, now they're hungry and starving. They want the you know the money that they were promised. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go marching, and they're called the Bonus Army because those bonus certificates 
They're, they're trying right. to essentially get them cashed and this in. Is, this is why I talked, too, about the war bonds. It's yeah. Because that emptied out their coffers a little bit, and it was really hard for them to, like, immediately yeah, and, and go Hooper back because they were... You know, dip in. Yeah. And take, so, so he Hoover sends the army to. Everybody's gold from. Them. Yeah, he he wouldn't Good do that. Gracious, I don't. You know, I don't know anymore what was right, but that's crazy. But but Hoover sent the army after these guys, and it was actually Douglas MacArthur and Dwight Eisenhower Whoa. were the ones that he <sighs> said go, and and supposedly so so they. There were there was essentially a Hooverville set up that had you know there were like forty thousand people that wow. set up camp and were just living there Bun essentially for like a, a month or something. Wow! And so the the story is that Hoover said you know do not cross the bridge to the camps and that uh, MacArthur and Eisenhower yeah we didn't get that order so they went and oh. rushed everybody out a couple <laughs> people died hundreds were injured wow it, it really was kind of a big thing and i don't know what actually you know happened but the next year they do the same thing they come back and the, you know this is the summer of 33 so a similar amount of people show up and uh, it, actually eleanor roosevelt just goes out and starts talking to them oh eleanor she's, she's out there supposedly with like no you know bodyguard no whatever she's just out there talking to him she's a tough lady she was a tough lady mm-hmm. and, and this is too. one of the things that i like to me fdr and you know eleanor are are good people yeah you know like, that's what i want out of leaders like i always worry about some of the authoritarian things but really you want people that you can trust and that who are going to do that's what true. they think is good. There's not going to be a single perfect leader ever. Yeah. But, However, but... I do have a fascinating fact about them. I looked up Theodore Roosevelt and Teddy. I mean, he is Teddy. And Franklin to see if they were related. They are related. However, Teddy is Eleanor's uncle. So... Franklin married his cousin. Yeah. <laughs> but but they're like fifth cousins, so it's no big deal. <laughs> but I just it's thought a different it, time it, anyway. was, it was just a different connection because they're like, yeah, for sure, through marriage. <laughs> because of, and I was, they are also related, but they're more distantly related than, of course, Eleanor. But I thought that was really funny. Yeah, that is kind of amazing. To, to throw us off track. But, but yeah, so in 33, when Eleanor goes out there, and, and they got the army of people who were mad, and what, she says, join the Civilian Conservation Corps. They go, okay. So, it, they, so yeah, the there Civilian Conservation Corps of really of people who were employed was by similar to like an army level thing, is they're looking for 18 to 25-year-old males, ah. and they're going to take them out and have them do essentially like public works things. Yes. And, and so and a this lot of was it... what I thought the New Deal was. Oh, yeah? So when I learned it in like high school and things like that, I remember we would go to a national park and we'd be walking the trails and I would think to myself, I wonder if this was a trail that was made during the New Deal. Because yep. that's, of course, what every teenage girl wonders, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so I had thought that that was all it was. 
And so they planted trees. They constructed trails in national parks and in other places. Like they, they were all about making um, unorganized land organized, yep. which I was really proud of because I love going to a national park. I am a national park nerd. And so I was like, yay, so much, you know, national pride in these national parks. But there were so many other programs that were put out. And in 1935, they also put out the Works Progress Administration. And this was huge. It employed, in the time that it was up, which was, I think it closed in 39, um, eight and a half million people, which, of course, is far more than the, the Civilian Conservation Corps. But they built roads, hospitals, schools, and other public works. They did a lot more public works as this. But they also had a section, and this is where we're going to go three, six, I mean, full circle here from, from the beginning. And remember that we're throwing paint on the walls. We had, um, they had an art portion of the Works Progress Administration called Federal Project Number One. And they employed artists, musicians, actors, and writers to entertain the people. And our dear Jackson Pollock was one of those artists. And he So wait, was, he's getting federal money to splash paint on the wall? He wasn't old enough yet. Uh. He hadn't splashed paint yet. He's a young artist, and he was a mural assistant and an easel painter. And I don't think they painted the easels. I think he just painted on an easel and like made paintings so I but it wasn't clear <laughs> so he was an easel painting but they employed 5,300 visual artists and these were the ones that would make like the posters yeah and and talk about the national parks and about the different the different programs and and put them up everywhere and and they also would make the um artwork for like the the federal buildings and things like that like they were just employing these people because you might be able to be a painter but there's no there's no one paying you yeah (laughs) it's to it's to and and what i really like about this is so i have so many weird random crisscrossing jackson pollock style thoughts going on right now i am a really big believer that people should work for what they get I, I really believe this. And as I was doing the um, math on it, the Great New Deal cost, it, it provided about $41.7 billion in funding for domestic programs, right? That's over like almost 10 years. It's, what, it's like six years. So that's a lot of money, yeah. right? Well, to give you an idea of how these things play out now, the U.S. quote unquote reinvested eight hundred billion dollars in the two thousand eight economic downturn. That's when they bailed out companies yeah. and things like that, and four point seven trillion in the COVID pandemic in two wow. years. So when you think about and n- nobody did boo for any of those other amounts of money. Nobody painted, nobody splattered any paint on any surfaces to get any of the $4.7 trillion that was in the COVID pandemic. And so it's like, whoa. (laughs) 
Like, I would truly, I think it's fair to say, hey, why don't you lay some some wooden sticks here to make a path yeah. and then we'll give you some money. Because when I think about the outcome of all of these programs, with the WPA, they made 4,000 new schools, 130 hospitals. They laid 9,000 miles of storm drain and sewer lines. They built 29,000 new bridges. They constructed 150 new airfields. They paved and repaired 280,000 miles of road. And they planted 24 million trees to alleviate the topsoil that was lost during the Dust Bowl. So there were massive projects. And I get that COVID's different. It's not like they were encouraging encouraging us to get together. But, I mean, think of all that could have happened with that money. (laughs) And and people being, being anxious to work. And being willing to work. Well, that was the thing is like with like the Civilian Conservation Corps too is like it's not just even to put some of these guys to work. They're looking to they they have these eighteen to twenty five year old men and they do go put them to work, but they also start that they get the discipline, the military type discipline and stuff like that. That and when you go through the stories, every single one, the people are like, "I'm a stronger person." I'm a stronger person because I went through this. I'm a stronger person because I did this. I'm a stronger person because I helped with the the CCC. I'm a stronger person because I, and I'm like, I don't think anybody can say that about COVID. About our COVID I'm a stronger person because I sat and watched the entire season of That's The right. Office. Twice. One city. They have a great funny bone. Like, I just, I just. And so in that way, I'm like, that is so amazing that we were able to really create something out of something so hard and difficult and really, really end up with something that allowed us to have the 40s, which were hard. I mean, the 40s were hard because the war was going on. But But economically, economically, it was there was in 1944, the unemployment rate. Give it a guess. Like. 1.9? 1.4. 1.4. 1.4. Never in the history of the United States has it ever been that low before or since. Yeah. And keep in mind, like, throughout the, in, in like, 1936, I think it was still, at like, 17%. And in 1938, yes. it was still at, you know, like, 15 And then it I think it drops drop. to 10. It and, drops to 10, but then it shoots right back And, and then in, like, in the 40s, it really starts dropping so in 39 it drops a lot because that's when the war in europe starts happening and then the men are leaving and the women are coming into the workforce so so what constitutes unemployed does shift but it's still kind of fascinating yeah and and there were i mean there were a lot of other things too one of the things that i wanted to bring up um was the gold reserve act of 1934 uh-huh. This one is crazy to me because this one sets off all my conspiracy bells. Yay. So, so in 1933, FDR goes out and he takes all the gold that Americans have yep. and gives it to the government. And in 1934, he establishes this act that says the president can just determine what the value of gold is by <gasps> proclamation. Oh, and no. he changes the value of gold from $20 an ounce to $35 an ounce. Wow. So, so all that of a sudden. Spend more. Yeah. To, I, to increase that is, money supply. 
this is crazy because I look at him and I'm like, good for you, FTR. You just came in and you just did it. And I'm like, and you cut a bunch of corners and cheated a bunch. But, like, but can you imagine the no. people who know that this is happening and who have some gold? You know, because people were, oh, people, my you goodness. know, people hoarded gold and people had sure. jewelry and people, you know, if you had gold, all of a sudden you're getting this 75% increase in a day. <sighs> And and it just blows wow. my mind because I think there there are like conspiracies that I've heard. You know, the Masons knew this was coming because uh, uh, FDR was a thirty third level Mason, and this was all <laughs> you know conspiracy to get certain. People. And there's a lot of goofy stuff like that, but it really is kind of crazy. But it, he's doing it in theory because he needs to increase the amount of money that the U.S. can essentially wow. print. And it also has a big effect because now um, the, the dollar is worth less other places and it actually helps out exports. Yes, it's true. And there were a when lot of other things. When you devalue your money on purpose, it makes, the, I mean, China's been doing this for years. Yeah. Because it makes your product more And, and, and I think this is one of the, you know, the, we were doing the same tricks that we say they do. You know, we, just, we did the tricks. Oof. But it, well, the other I thing that no I found idea. interesting is that from the time that, uh, from 1933 when he took everybody's gold, it wasn't until 1975 when Nixon went off the gold standard. I think it was Nixon. But uh, that's, you couldn't actually just trade in gold during that time. I had no idea. It was, it was I mean, I knew a, they went off the gold standard at that time, which I have my own thoughts and feelings, and feelings about. Um both directions because how in the world do you have this many people with yeah. this much going on on the gold standard the gold would be worth like 400 million dollars an ounce but but that has another day yeah. a topic for another day and that was another weird one that i always feel crazy. like I'm, I'm i'm too dumb to to figure it out like so it kind of makes sense but there's a lot of stuff number one the thing that doesn't make sense to me is like why you would want your currency backed by something that you could find in the ground. Like, what happens if somebody finds, oh, we just found a deposit of, you know, whatever. Because what happens what to your currency? what if it's backed by nothing? Yeah. What if it's backed by the air which, that you breathe? Which is essentially what it is. <laughs> it it's is. Backed by, it's, a, it's a faith-based it's, currency it is. is what it is. Which, would absolutely. It's based but on But even that, like, what you're, you you're just making, happen. it's like inception. It's one level of faith. You, you know, gold. You're, you're putting your faith in gold. Well, why does gold have any value? Well, it's yes. faith-based. It, it's the same thing as our current currency. We just took off that extra step. Yes. Except However, for gold has a limited finite amount. And yes. You can't. And you, it's tangible. Yeah. And so it is easier to wrap your head around the fact that I am holding this and I can exchange it for something as opposed to, Yes, I will wave my arms and look. Now you have your money, and Especially you can wave your arms. Especially with the way arms. everything's all pretty much digital now. <laughs> I you know, know like that's what I'm just saying. A concept and you money, just... you don't even have a piece of paper anymore. Yeah. You have a online file. You just which, say, hey, by the Amazon, way... I will. You, you now have a hundred of my dollars. That might, and <laughs> then you right. give me that stuff. <laughs> and, and it just happens without any. Yeah. And, and it is kind of amazing. But... It is. It's. I mean. <laughs> talk about your conspiracy theories like you can just go on forever about that yeah but in addition to some of the ones we've talked about 
if you look at how many departments he created, like there is a oh this massive list. It's, it's called the alphabet agencies. Which even I by know so I got this these. list of from from like the FDR library sort of thing, and they called it the alphabet agencies. And the first one, you know, Agriculture Adjustment Administration, and they got you know, essentially like a list of these sixty organizations that were created under FDR. Well, FEMA, that's fascinating. In the Federal Housing Administration, I did not know FEMA was in the 1930s. I thought it was much more recent. Yeah, so a lot of this, a lot of these things that we kind of know today as just normal things, Security Exchange Commission, you know, and some of the stuff isn't necessarily, like he did the the FCC. And yeah. part of me is like, well, is that really Great Depression related? I don't no, know. I don't but know. it happened well, around yeah, the same time. Because radio is becoming huge yeah. at this point. And so they have to be able to it might not be it might not be like necessarily but, but it's used. depression fact, related, but it's definitely I mean that's how he communicated. One of the tangents I wanted to bring that up. This fireside chat. Is he did these fireside mm-hmm. chats and at the time all the newspapers were actually kind of Republican and they they didn't they like him. Didn't FDR. Like him. <laughs> but he was able to use the radio to talk to the common people. And, and all I thought was, voice. can you imagine today we have a similar, you know, like Trump on Twitter. He's yeah. like, yeah, the newspapers hate me. I use Twitter. Well, FDR was kind of doing the same thing. He was out on the radio talking to people. And if you listen, he doesn't say anything like Trump. He's a very no. nice, friendly. He, I, I did listen to a few of his things before. Yeah, I but listened because to. Because everyone was a little bit more proper. And yep. a little bit, the men were, were manly and respectful. The women were feminine and respectful. Yeah. Ain't nobody slapping nobody in the streets. It, it was a different time <laughs> a different for time. sure. <sighs> but it just surprised me the number of these agencies. And we don't really get to talk about them all because there's so There's many. so many. But one that I did want to talk about only because it amused me. Yeah was he had he came up with the in 1933 something called the National Recovery Administration and and in this this had a lot of good things it was uh he was trying to establish a minimum wage and abolish child labor and set a maximum you know work week of 35 to 45 hours eliminated child labor yeah in, which in is 1930s. weird to think about because in, in your head nowadays you just don't even imagine that child labor was a thing i'm going to interject and say this man was he was put in office this year. How much pre-work must have he done? And why don't why doesn't this happen in the same way, in yet a different way? I don't know because honestly, like my cynical answer is, people don't care about doing this. They yeah. just care about getting the job. You know, it's all about the campaigning and, the and doing just whatever. Undo whatever someone else has done when they get yeah. in, but they don't like say, "Hey, here's my plan. Here's how we're gonna do it." And this guy hit the ground running. I know, because he was the president for a very long time. But most of these things happen in the first two years yep. that he's the president. So if he had been in for one term, he still would have had and implemented a ton of this stuff. Yeah. But but what the, the amusing part with that National Recovery oh, Administration yeah. to me was he put out a video. So he put out a little movie. I watched it. It's seven minutes. Oh, no. So here's the description. <laughs> I just want to give you the description. Is uh, The story is about a guy 
who's working for the National Recovery Administration, trying to write a song for the National Recovery Administration. Oh, no. He falls asleep, <laughs> and in his dream, oh, no. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> and Woodrow Wilson appear to him. We need a link to this. And <laughs> I have a play link. Play it. Play it. <laughs> but they, they, the, those presidents explain to him what the National Recovery Administration is and does and Put it inspire on. I'm him not kidding. with the song. Put it on. Oh, I will, I'll have to. USU, is that Utah State? Uh, or is that another? I don't even remember because yeah, I just found Utah this. Yeah, it's Utah State University. Here we go, everybody. We're about to listen to this. It won't show up on the thing. That's the problem. It won't show up, but can you hear it? Because oh. we can describe it. You can only hear it through here. Oh. So Wait. I'll put the link in the notes. If you want to find this, this is amusing. It's on YouTube. It's called The Road is Open Again. But I'll put a link in case anybody actually wants to see it. But it just amused me because it's this, just this seven-minute film. It's six and a half minutes. No, it doesn't. It's six and a half minutes. And uh, this is some high all quality. of a sudden, you got Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Woodrow Wilson. Oh, my goodness. And they're explaining. But one of the things with FDR, too, is he, oh, he did he's waking have, up. And he's seeing them. Yep. <laughs> and they're going to explain what this is. And then he's going to go, they're going to say, we're like opening the road for, you know, for commerce again. He's like, the road is open again. That's fantastic. Wow. And then he comes up with a song, and there's a song oh, at no. the end that they sing. I <laughs> and it blows sing my it mind. Us. Play a few bars in your own in your own voice. <laughs> <laughs> I am not gonna do that. But there was more to this national recovery thing too. That's hilarious. The, the, That's crazy. They, there was something called the Blue Eagle. I don't know that they came out with either. And and it was a symbol. It's basically the made in America sort of symbol thing that that happened. Is like if you're in this, you know, if you're willing to come in and, you know, have these, you know, minimum wages and, you know, follow these sort of rules, we'll give you this blue eagle thing that you can hang in your, you know, window and then everybody will know to shop at your places and to buy your goods and to do whatever. And so people would would put these little posters up in their shop windows and it the thing that bothers me about that is that's very similar to a lot of like socialist sort of things that, oh yeah but the Philadelphia Eagles were called the Eagles because of this blue eagle History program just blows my mind it is <laughs> and, it, and it was just kind of mind-blowing to see some of this stuff because I had no oh, idea. I've never heard of I this. Didn't know, I didn't know any of this either. I had never heard of the Blue Eagle. And what, so when I was looking up this National Recovery Administration and I watched that video and I was like, oh, this is amusing. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is really kind of funny. And it wasn't just the only one. In 1933, there was a movie called Gabriel Over the White House that was put out by Hollywood about a newly elected president who gets the country out of a depression by putting jobless people back to work on construction projects. Oh, I wonder where they came up with that. Yeah, and the what's creativity. weird is it came out probably from before, like, the, basically they must no. have been making it around the same time as a lot of the stuff. It came out in <laughs> 1933. And, well, and there really was, like, if you go look, whoa. if you look at the ties between Hollywood and FDR, 
Well, all of that amazing acting. There was a, the stage. stage and screen division of the Democratic National Campaign Committee that had the Warners and the Griffins, and there was this connection between these big Hollywood people and uh, the, the wow. uh, essentially FDR's campaign. That's fascinating. It really is Ooh, fascinating. You went down better rabbit holes than I went down. Different rabbit holes. Different rabbit holes. I did find the Coca-Cola conspiracy. Which is a good one. <laughs> I actually really like that one. Oh. So did you have anything else you wanted to bring up on the Great Depression? I have one other thing, and it's not Great Depression related. But... Oh. Well, sure. Uh, 1937, we still have a 21 21- percent of all rural families in the Great Plains that are receiving federal emergency relief aid. Now, when FDR came in, he did offer just relief aid to some of these farmers, but it didn't come out for over a year. So people wow. knew they were getting it, but they weren't but they're not getting, getting, it. getting it. <laughs> and so that was really hard, but still even four years later, 21% of all the families are getting emergency relief aid. Um, in 1941, that was the last of the Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl was done was being a over. Dust Bowl. And they built that, like you said, they, they planted a bunch of trees. They built a line of like millions of trees from Canada going down to Texas. And it was, it was this, this not tree line. Yeah, because it was supposed to sort of break the, the, wind, the wind and, and catch yep. the dirt. And apparently it's been mildly effective. Um, they also have a lot of programs that. Um, stop people from planting so you are yeah. paid as a farmer to not plant on some of your field but this, to let this natural is, I think, is when a lot grow. of those programs came yeah. into place and i i can't now remember what it's called i thought i would remember off the top of my head because it comes up in my everyday life sometimes um because i don't have it but i in in real estate it does but um and so it's not like a ton of money, and it, the money amount does vary depending on, like, what your land would be used for and how, you know, yeah, things like that. So you could you could have a, a hundred acres set aside where you can't plant on it for 10 years. It's usually a 10-year contract, and they'll pay you, I don't know, $7,000 a year not to plant on that land, which isn't... I'll not plant for 5000 a year. That's what I... I know. I was like... But, of course, if you needed the money, you would make more money planting. Yeah. But they do, you know, and you, for 10 but, years you don't. And then and then they're able to have these natural grasses stay there. I used to there. get mad at those sort of programs. Yeah. Because I always thought, you know, why are we paying people to not grow food? And now, like, I really do think there's a lot more thought that goes into it. And it, it matters more. You know, it keeps prices where people will be farmers. Yeah. Because if you, like like what happened earlier, if everybody's farming, all of a sudden there's an overproduction. and Oh, yeah. Then they pay people you, you to dump their You get cheap food stuff. for a little bit, but mm-hmm. then everybody stops being farmers. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you now don't have enough food. So yeah. it, it's just a way to help regulate that. And I So at the very end, before you say your last thing, This was a very interesting time in history in America because we had a president who was president for so long and and did so many massive changes and changed so many things um, that probably wouldn't be able to occur in the same way and be duplicated in the same way now. But I I find it absolutely fascinating, and, and maybe this talk is for another time, 
you know, you talk about how you, you lean towards less government regulation, yeah. but then how you also see how some is important. And this was a, a massive time for government regulation. There, there was never, I don't think we've ever had anything close to this. No. This, this is this was this was really huge. a huge change in style of government mm-hmm. that I don't think it, we see every now and again, but but Oh, in little pieces. In little pieces and or, maybe, or big maybe cr- crazy events, year. you know, yeah. like civil war sort of things or maybe whatever. COVID. But, but <laughs> yeah, like COVID would be something that you'd say, yeah, there like but it's never, normally you'd never see anything yeah. like what happened with COVID. I hopefully. just it's just a really fascinating time in history. And yeah, and it, the the thing that I really do like because I always worry about the government overstepping because yeah. to me it you know this is the most powerful entity in history and the potential uh-huh. for abuse means yes. that abuse could be terrible. So like like I always err on the side, but a lot of these things I do think were really good, and a lot of them, yeah, were were brand new sort of concepts that now we kind of take for granted. You know, it's the true. forty hour work week. It's really weird for me to think. In fact, like I'm of the opinion, you know, one I don't of the things know. My that he talks works about eighty hours. I don't, I don't get it. In, don't in that uh, <laughs> video, they talk about something. You know, we want to split up the work so that there's more jobs. So to that rather around. than have the one guy work eighty hours, we'll have two guys work forty hours. So then you and to me, I kind of think, yeah, that that stuff makes sense to me. Even the child labor and the child like, oh, labor we're not gonna have blows my work. mind. We're gonna have grown-ups work so they can feed their families and it's like have you seen like the pictures <laughs> of the kids that are, were working like the ones that i saw the pictures any, that i saw were the people were way earlier and these poor kids there's like eight-year-old kids covered in coal dust oh, yeah. and stuff like that they could get and, into the small places oh it, it's so oh, tragic what? i think you have to tell the the dynamite story Oh, so I was going to tell this one when you were talking about the Civilian Conservation Corps, but it, it's just kind of a more personal story. Uh-huh. This is why this is my grandma's story. So she uh, would go summer in the, these you know, mountainous areas, and one summer she says she's 15 years old, and this was in I think 1933ish. Uh, could have been 34. I don't know the exact dates because she didn't say the dates, but. Uh, she's, you know, just out riding her horse and she sees the, you know, Civilian Conservation Corps people out working. And they start hollering at her and she thinks that they're kind of flirting with her or whatever. And then, <laughs> so she's not paying them any mind, you know. She's not right. going to give them she's any of that satisfaction. So she just keeps <laughs> her head straight and just keeps going on her horse. And they're trying to tell her that there's dynamite about to go off <laughs> so the dynamite goes off and she ends up falling off her horse and so she kind of has a little joke you know she's like and then i got a real attention from the civilian <laughs> conservation corps because they had to get the doctors and do whatever she said she was fine she was really just really embarrassed but she just kind of had a run-in with the civilian conservation corps uh, that's, i thought that was a funny story it, it was pretty good <laughs> Uh, but eventually, as time goes on, and there's no real solid way and reason why this ended. Well, the reason that they say, basically, is World War II. Right, that's true. That's what they say. They're not sure the New Deal was the factor. They're yeah. not sure saving banks was the factor. They're not sure the stock market 
you know, because people were, were starting to invest again and having a little more confidence, but they didn't have a lot of money and then blah, 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 blah. But here comes World War II, World War so, II. So if you go by the numbers, World War II fixed the issue. Yes. But there's so much more that goes on and it's really hard to say. You know, yep. you're really just guessing. This and if you, if you get into the game. political things, you can find there's lots of people who know. And they know that their side is right, is of what course. they know. So and a lot of people will be like, the are. New Deal, you know, was the greatest thing ever. And a lot of people will be like, no, the New Deal just prolonged yes. the Depression. And there is the, this it libertarian really guy who basically says all this stuff that Hoover and FDR did just made it worse. It made it so that it, it couldn't correct itself. So they put all these programs into place, and rather than letting it correct itself, you know, it, it just had to keep struggling until finally World War II. But there's other people who say, like, if we, you know, we didn't do anything. Yeah, would we be like Russia was in the 80s? Like, yeah. would it, is there problem communism, or is there problem they didn't do these other things. And then it's like, wait a second, but aren't we sort of being communist here? It really <laughs> is. There's <laughs> a lot of... why did it save them? And, uh, yeah. It is. It's really hard to figure out an exact... But you were going to say something, and I, I... Oh, mine is not... This is totally unrelated okay. to the to the Depression and the New Deal or anything like that. But the, the thing that I found that I just... You know, when I'm going through this stuff and I'm looking at yeah. things like, you know, the... the national debt sort of thing this just amused me to no end is there's a site that you can go to at treasury.gov that shows you apparently people can donate money to help pay the national debt down and people do but it's not very much in november of 2022 they received seventy four thousand dollars to help pay down the national debt (laughs) which is every dollar which grows almost that much in a minute yeah and it makes me kind of sad for their minute and they're they're yeah they're good and there's other times when it actually gets bigger you know like there something is going on in uh if if you look at some of these days like there's consistently seems to be times when somebody's paying more in, in you know the April May sort of times. It, oh, it jumps up. It does. It jumps up three hundred and fifty-two thousand. And I don't. My guess is that there's somebody who has some sort of automatic payment thing uh-huh. or something like that that that's going on. But it's just really interesting to know that there are people coming in and putting their pennies into the jar to help save America from the national... Good job, America. Yeah. Well, you six people. Yeah, good job. Good job, you six Whoever people. these guys are that did this. I don't think it shows how many people or anything like that contributed. Because I was looking <laughs> thinking, oh, somebody gave 74000 and then Do you I think saw... you can put that on like your resume when they're like, we're going to raise taxes to 73% again? And you're like, actually, I, uh, put... I already yeah. helped pay down this deficit. I know. And if you factor in some of the interest, like, oh, I... A couple yeah. years ago, I put in $100 interest-wise. Like, yeah, I saved done my us, part. you know, who knows how many <laughs> thousands by maybe, now. Maybe you get a tax break if you do this. Yeah. Wow, that's But it just amused me. So when I saw that, I just thought, oh, that's funny. I should, I should tell Kim that there's people <laughs> putting their, you know, 
You know, I'm going to be asking my husband. I'm going to be like, honey, can we pay for the extra? Because I am always complaining about it, and I'm not doing anything about it. Now I can be like, actually, I've done my part. I've done, I've done something about it. My $63 went to pay for the national debt. What have you contributed? Yep. And one other thing that I saw, somebody made a um, a comparison with the countries that were on the gold standard and the countries that were off or went off the gold standard uh-huh. and said that the people on the gold standard had much worse depressions. And so oh, somebody really? was doing his argument and he goes and shows, you know, Great Britain got off in the gold standard and well, that's like because you can make up your own money if you're not on the gold standard. <laughs> Yeah, you and can, you don't but steal you can from also, your people. <laughs> if you're on the gold standard now, you can just have the president say, and Game now gold is worth. That's why they're mad. <laughs> gold is worth $400 billion yeah. and out. But, We're going to roar the 20s again. <laughs> that's fascinating. But the United States, looks like Czechoslovakia had a bit, a bit of a bad time. Yeah, there's a chart we're looking at that shows how bad things got from the lowest to, you know, to the, you know, where they started at the highest to the lowest they got. And the U.S. had a decline of 46.8% in industrial production. During Great Britain was only 16.2. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, and they're supposedly, according to this guy, they got off the gold standard in 31, so they ended theirs a lot faster. Um, and a lot of these other places ended theirs a lot faster. But I can't make any sense of it. People, you know, I initially, you know, read something on like the Smoot-Hawley tariff where somebody was blaming that on thing, and, and it all made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And then I read somebody else, and they're like, no, well, that at all. It was this. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And they all kind of made a little bit of sense, and I don't know what was actually true, but. But when you think about this happening now and think about, you know, if there was a Great Depression, because I learned that a Great Depression is or a depression is defined by having a an unemployment rate above 20 percent for multiple periods. of that, time. That must be a great one, because they say we've been through several other depressions and I don't know that we've well, that's hit... why they call them recessions, like the Great Recession, the great recession. of 2008. We never got. To twenty, so so depression. Depression is over twenty, and and this might have been something you know defined after the fact, of course. But but um, in COVID, because everyone lost their jobs a bunch, it was like twenty five percent, which was I think it was just on par to the worst part of the depression, and that was only for like a few months, like maybe six months, and. And then everyone started getting their jobs, which is another fascinating fact that we can discuss another time about how there's raging job openings and people need employees. And yet... And some of us won't go get jobs! (laughs) And yet, though, there are more... Like, the unemployment rate is super low. Yeah. In a bizarre way that those those should match somewhere, and they're not matching there's still more job openings than there are unemployed people. Yeah. Which is, when does that happen? Anyway, times are always weird, I suppose. But that I could go off on random stuff forever. That's part of my shtick. But this was a really interesting walk down the Great Depression. Because there's a lot of information here. 
everywhere. You're covering a decade. There's a lot of stuff. Yep. Well, unless you got anything else, I think we'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.